Blog Talk Radio. Celtics or Bruins, but I uh, grew up watching a lot of 
a lot of baseball, a lot of football, a lot of Patriots, a lot of Red Sox. Um, and then, yeah, moved in high school, moved to Tulsa, and I've been here ever since. And then uh, later this month, my wife and I are moving to Portland. So um, that's kind of where we are with that stuff. And then, um, yeah, I mean, you want me to talk a little bit about how I got to this point in DFS? Well, well, we definitely are definitely going to get there, but I wanted to just say, boy, from Boston to Tulsa, that had to be some kind of culture shock. How 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 did that go? Yeah, it was different at the time. Um, how old these were days, you? Uh, Fourteen. So these days, Tulsa's—it's actually a lot like Nashville or Austin or Portland. One of these smaller cities that's really growing into something cool for young people to be in. But when I moved here, it was not that at all. So it was um, a big shift. And then on top of that, the weather, I remember my first, my first football practice, I looked up, a, there was a, a bank marquee that had the temperature and it was, I think 112 degrees in 20 pounds of pads. And I'd never seen it go over a hundred in my whole life. So that was the biggest difference for sure. Oh my gosh. Did you play college, uh, high school sports? Yeah, I played high school um, football and then uh, helped coach football my first few years out of high school as well. That's interesting. How did you hear about Daily Fantasy and how did you kind of break into the industry? So Daily Fantasy, my first time I started playing was uh, I actually I don't I don't listen to season long fantasy podcasts, but I think I was I don't know, I was having to do some cleaning in my house one day and decided to turn on Matthew Berry's podcast. And I swear it was the first time I'd ever listened to it. And he was promoting Draft Street at the time. And so I, I decided to go on and play. I think I won off of $50 or so that I put in. I won almost two grand the first weekend. And I thought, oh, this is so easy. And then, of course, over the next three weeks, lost it all back. Um, and then I, that was it for DFS. That was um, the fall of 2013. And then in the spring of 2014, I decided to try it out with baseball and see what I could do with really digging into sabermetrics and using that as a predictive measure. And um, yeah, things went really well in, in baseball. So as we got closer to football, I decided to start studying the game theory behind DFS football as opposed to just trying to go off of my knowledge, which um, helped a lot and was able to turn football into a profitable endeavor as well. Yeah, that that's one of the interesting things that I'm finding so far is, you know, I kind of, as we were getting ready to do the pod, talked about my history and how I could rattle off who won every World Series back to 1903 and uh, knew a ton about football. And it really is, a, you know, anyone who has just tried to live off of that, I think, has found DFS to be very humbling. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much. I, I talk about it in my, um, which is probably my favorite Roto Academy course I've written is my roster construction course for NFL. And at the beginning of it, I talk about how the DFS commercials make it sound, well, not anymore because of how much flack they caught. But at, back then, the DFS commercials made it sound like anyone with sports knowledge can go in and do well. But the reality is, 50% of DFS success is sports knowledge. And the other 50% is understanding the game theory behind DFS. So there's really two sides to succeeding. It's not just knowing the sports really well, but then it's also studying the game theory of how to play 
DFS and succeed in, in that way. And, and that goes, it's different in each sport. It's different in cash games and tournaments. It's different in different sizes of tournaments. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it beyond just knowing the sports. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, boy, I could do a podcast pretty much on each one of the things you just mentioned. Uh, but since this is a more general podcast, I won't do too much in the way of follow-up. But I do want to mention to those who are listening that I highly advise you to check out Jordan. On He does a game theory podcast with two guys that I also have a tremendous amount of respect for, Jeff El Jefe and uh, Head Chopper. And, you know, that first episode that I listened to on the game theory, uh, it, it really helped me a tremendous amount. Head Chopper talked about um, something that helped me a lot which was I'm, I just find that I'm, I'm afraid to play, you know, to miss out on someone's big night. So I end up playing too many guys. Um, and I've really worked the last couple of weeks since that pod to narrow my choices every night. And, and so game theory is a big deal. I advise everyone to check out Jordan on that podcast. And also, you know, there's an old commercial with a, a bald guy. He said, you know, I'm not just the owner. I'm, uh, I'm someone who uses the product too. Uh, I just signed up for your baseball courses today because uh, I, I have a lot to learn in that subject. So uh, follow him there. Uh, lately, it seems that with the NBA, almost anything can, can knock you for a loop. Isn't that the case? Yeah, and I think – having knowledge of the NBA is extraordinarily important because of all the late changes that come about where you have to adjust so quickly. I think that's, I've realized, and I've said it before, but I've really realized it recently um, just through study and hard work, I could probably get to a point where I am a profitable NBA player, but I'll, I'm aware of the fact that I'll never be an elite NBA DFS player because I don't love the NBA and I, I have a passion for following baseball or football. And so I want to know it inside and out. I want to watch all the games basketball. I don't, if I have to sit down and watch an NBA game, I consider that work. That's not something I want to do. And, and I think the people who really get to know NBA, well, I know that's probably a lot of people listening to this or who, you are reading my stuff are people who do love the NBA. And then if you have that knowledge of the NBA, it becomes easier to convert that to success because then you just have to study the game theory side of things. Yeah. I, I, I was, uh, I had crazy Gabe on my podcast and it's funny with all the stuff we talked about. One of my big takeaways was just how well intrinsically he understood the NBA game and how certain injuries would affect the way certain people could play and what they were good at. And it more than anything else, even though I've done okay, I mean, I'm profitable with NBA this year, it really left me thinking, boy, I, I've got a lot to learn. Yeah, that's how I felt when I started reading Jumpahoo's article with, all, with how in-depth he is with his statistics and – just different advanced stats I would never think of or just innate knowledge of how teams will play a game that um, that I would never have, have thought of. And you recognize 
how much knowledge some guys have and, and how they're able to put that to use. Yep. And I think one thing that has done me well in life in general that also applies to DFS is you have to be willing to admit when someone knows more than you do. And what needs to be king is information and learning. And I think you you have the same kind of idea I do there. Um, I did want to ask you before we go too deep into this, I, I wanted to ask you, you're an author, aren't you? you you've got a published book? Yeah, it came out, oh uh, Lord, it came out uh, in 2011, so that's four and a half years ago now. But yeah, it was my, my first novel came out uh, in 2011, and I'm working on a new one now. What was that novel called? What's it, you know, just give us the quick synopsis of what's it about and kind of the genesis of how you decided to write it. It's called The Great Lenore. Um, I doubt it's in many physical bookstores anymore, but it can still be found on Amazon. Um, and it's the story of a a woman, the very short um, synopsis is it's the story of a woman whose plane went down in the Atlantic and she had been on board, but had gotten off the plane right before it took off. So her name was on the flight manifest and she was presumed dead with the rest of the passengers. And she decided to use that as an opportunity to start a new life. So that's the gist of the book. Um, I love I never, stuff like that. I, yeah, I you it know, was, I, it was, uh, I love it starting was, over stories. It was fun to explore that idea. It was fun to write that, that book. Um, and then, yeah, as far as how it came about, I've been writing since I was 14. So I used to go home from, from school, from high school, I'd go to football practice and then go home afterward. And instead of doing my homework, I would, go up to my room and, and work on writing. So that's just something I've been passionate about for well, 16 years now. And so I never really, you know, people will ask, how did you come up with that story idea? I don't really come up with story ideas because that's something that's always in my head is new stories and new ideas. And so that was one that had been in my head for a couple of years. And uh, it was a project I started working on and, and it just happened to be one that came together really well where everything worked out um, and the book, you know, did well enough to get published. It was, um, we sold the Italian rights. So it was translated to Italian and published over in Italy. Um, so yeah, it was a fun experience. And now we're, we're working on the next one to see what comes about with this one. That, that's, that is very interesting and uh, good luck with the next one. I, I always wanted to ask you about that. Um, do you think, you know, writing as much as you do for DFS and DFS, you know, it, I mean, it can be a compulsion almost. Um, how, how do you manage to do time management with uh, all the interesting things going on in your life? It was an issue in 2014 when I first started playing. And I, that was actually kind of, I, I used to be on the forums on Roto-Grinders a lot more than I am but that was kind of one of the things that brought me to the attention of the kind of higher up guys at, at Roto Grinders was a forum post I wrote one time talking about how I'm a novelist and this, this I had spent so little time writing since I started playing DFS because it had kind of taken over things. So, um, so yeah, since then I became more aware of it and it's, it was a process after that, but it's sort of, uh, one thing that helps is I don't sleep a whole lot. Um, 
another thing that helps is this is my my job is playing DFS and writing DFS. So it makes it a little easier, but I put in probably 60 hours a week um, between all the things I do. And it's, yeah, it's just kind of budgeting time. I try to do my writing, my fiction writing um, and reading right when I wake up. I try to read about an hour and a half every day and write an hour and a half every day. So I do yeah, that right I, when I wake up, and then that gives me the rest of the day to focus on other things. That's cool. I, uh, you know, I've always been a pretty avid reader, and I, you know, I've been doing sales for now almost 25 years, and you I drive about 40,000 miles a year, so I got in the habit of doing books on tape, and now with Audible, it's so easy. I do probably about 15 to 20 books a year. And I, I can't remember the last time I actually picked up a book, but I listen to them all the time. And I think it's important when you have a, a passion like DFS to make sure that you find time for other things in life. And uh, it sounds I, I'm glad, especially with a wife, um, that they'll keep you on the straight and narrow if they're not getting enough time. <laughs> yeah, I think about the I, I try not to sweat slates anymore. Um, because I've, I mean, it's, it can be fun from time to time. It can be frustrating at other times, but I realized it doesn't actually accomplish anything. It doesn't contribute to anything in your life to sweat a slate. So I try to just kind of check up throughout the night and see how things are going. And that's made a a big difference because rather than sitting there and staring at your phone for three or four hours straight, waiting for things to update, you're actually doing things and enjoying life during that time. So that's been a, yeah. a big thing for me too. Yeah. I, I'm finding that as well. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've fought sleep, but unlike you, I, I need a good six to eight hours a night. And I, I, I'm typically of in bed by 10, 10 30 kind of guy. And, you know, some of the last NBA games don't kick off till 10 30, yeah. So I, I've, I've kind of learned that if I'm tired to go to bed and it, like you said, nothing's going to change. And I've really had to use my skill sets as far as delegating time because, you know, I, I'm enjoying DFS so much. It really can kind of take over your life. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely can. So you've been with Roto Grinders a few years now, and recently you have, in your words, taken on a little bit more responsibility at Roto Grinders as it relates to content. Can you give us an update on how that came about and what your thoughts are? I know you've brought one gentleman on on board so far who's brilliant, but I just wanted to hear some of your ideas as well as what you're going to try and do to upgrade what's already a tremendous offering on Roto Grinders. Yeah, it all kind of started because um, I was getting, I, I feel very invested in Roto Grinders just to, as in, I believe in what they do. I think that they are the best daily fantasy content site. And, um, and so I'm, I'm really proud to be writing for them and, and working so closely with them. But because of that, I really want everything that, that we do at Roto Grinders to truly represent the name of Roto Grinders and be as good as it can be. And um, I, I got kind of upset a few times last football season about the expert consensus rankings because it's supposed to be point per dollar rankings. And there was just, it seemed like it was getting a bit sloppy with people just listing chalk 
And um, so I kind of vented to the 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 uh, Cam and Cal, the co-founders of, of Rotor Grinders. I vented to them a couple times just expressing my frustration over that. And then it was early this year that they were really wanting to figure out ways to improve the premium content and take it to the next level. And so um, they thought of me for heading that up just because of the, you know, the fact that I had shown that I really cared about how we do there. So uh, I went out to Nashville about a month ago and we talked over everything and, and put all this into motion. Um, Nashville is where Roto Grinders is based. And yeah, so the first thing we wanted to do was start getting a feature article out there five days a week that just goes really in depth into you know each specific sport. So for NBA, that's the jump shot article that Jumpahoo is writing. And um and Jumpahoo, I I know him through DFS, but I know him because when I was playing NBA last year, when I first started in NBA his lineups were the main lineups I studied every night to try to learn NBA. And it was at the start of MLB last year that he sent me a message asking me some baseball questions. And it was kind of like, no way, this is the guy whose who's NBA lineups I studied every night. So we started talking from there and, and just beca- became kind of DFS pals. And so when, when we came up with this idea of just an in-depth article five days a week for basketball – he immediately came to mind and um, he had just finished his getting his MBA and was kind of trying to decide what to do next. If he wants to get a job or wants to just focus on DFS till it ends or maybe do something else at school. And so then I came to him with this and he was like, yeah, it's perfect. So uh, timing worked out well and we were able to get him on board with, uh, with that. So I'm super pumped to have him on board. I mean, the reaction to the article has been awesome. People seem to really love it. And uh, it's just, tremendously valuable NBA content. What is nylon calculus? He talks about that a lot. I sell nylon luggage, but I don't know what nylon calculus is. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, just an advanced stat site. Although uh, this is really cool. A lot of the stats that Jumpahoo references on there, um, we're now starting to integrate into our tools on Rotogrinders. So rather than people having to go over to nylon calculus to access these advanced stats, they'll be able to just jump to another page of, of rotor grinders. So, and that's another thing we're wanting to do really take our tools to the next level, our advanced stats to the next level. Um, there's a few things we're doing. I, I, I don't know if, um, I guess I can talk about it because it's, we're in the process of doing it. Um, I have very do, few listeners, so you yeah, can definitely so, talk about it. Um, for expert consensus rankings, we're going to start doing, uh, tracking accuracy rankings of all the guys doing the expert consensus rankings. So we'll actually have standings that people can follow throughout the season to see which of our experts are the most accurate at um, at essentially recommending the top point per dollar plays on the day. So um, that'll be really cool. Just things like that to really, you know, there's so much, there's so many great content sites out there right now. And in order for Roto Grinders to truly be the best effort has to be made to continually go above and beyond what other sites are providing. So that's essentially what, what this is right now is just finding every way we can to improve and, and really just ensure that if somebody is paying for premium content, that each month when they pay that money, that they feel like 
they're ripping off roto grinders because of how little they're paying and how much content they're getting, as opposed to feeling like, eh, do I want to keep paying this each month or not? So that's really what we're doing is trying to take it super next level. Well, one of the things that, you know, I want to hype is Notorious, who does a tremendous article. I know he did it for baseball. He does it for the NBA. He does the first look in the morning, and then he'll do the grind down later. Um, that first look is where I start my day. Um, even if I'm going out to sell that day, I, I, I wake up 15, 20 minutes earlier, and I'll go you know, boom, boom, boom down every part of that article that he does. And I feel that that really helps me to get the basis of who I want to play each day. Um, you know, I'll go, I'll go deeper and look at injuries, but, uh, I recommend that highly to anyone. I get questions sometimes about process. What's your process? Well, I'm new at this, but my process is I go to that first look every day and, and then I, you know, it teaches me to fish rather than, you know, you talk about content sites. I think it's human nature just to want to give people the answers without teaching them how to come up with the answers themselves. And I know that's something that's important to you, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how you do that with Roto-Grinders. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the, the key element we're trying to bring to premium is putting people in a position where they're understanding, and that's what I love about jump jump shot article and it's the same thing i do in the mlb edge and in the nfl edge where it's presenting all these stats and insights that people might not have thought of without necessarily giving them the answers of here's the players i'm playing today because then it helps people see what different stats they want to look at and how they want to weigh everything and optimally everyone would be doing this research on their own but not everyone has that kind of time so the cool thing about these articles is we can do this in-depth research for the reader. We can present all these things they wouldn't have seen or thought of before, and they can still make their own decisions from there. So it really equips people. And I've seen a lot of comments on Jumpahoo's article talking about how much higher their ROI has been since the jump shot article came out, because it really does make you think about what is the best play today. Um, and so it, it, helps the readers learn how to think and become better DFS players themselves, as opposed to just plugging in somebody else's picks each day. Well, and it's also nice if you've done, if you do have the time that day to do your own research, it could either confirm or get you off of some of the guys that you had highlighted to use in your lineups that night. Absolutely. 100%. So um, one of the things you talk about doing a lot and it's something that I've noticed um, and I've tried to do and I, I just don't seem to have the ability or get out of it what you do is to go to the winning lineups from the night before and kind of deconstruct them. So uh, in the notes, I said that I'd like to do that with you today. And I'm kind of opened up last night's NBA uh, crossover, the $27 tournament, since I was in that. Do you have access to that? I don't know. You want to sh shoot me an email to the link real quickly? Yeah, I mean, hold on. I'll, I'll, right. uh, I'll PM you uh, right now. Although I didn't, 
I didn't play last night, so um, I'll no have less insight on on exactly what was what. But all right, here's the contest. Take, take a look, and we'll we'll make the best of it. And more, what I'm looking at is well, I'll, I'll take you through it because okay. one thing jumped out at me right away when you look at the top ten. Okay, I'm in. All right. So we see that Chipotle Addict, who is a well-known DFSer, came in second place with a lineup of uh, a total of 395. And what sickens me a little bit is how many of the guys I wanted to play or did play are in this lineup. Um, I had I was on Efrid Payton because he was only 4900. I loved Giannis. I had him in almost every lineup. I wanted to put Paul George in, but never did. Alex Len was my number one center. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But if you look down a little further, E. Hafner, who is a roto grinder, is he not? Yeah, he is. Yeah, so he's in fourth and seventh place. And if you click on them both very quickly, you see that there's a couple different players but that the the core is pretty much the same and that he just switched out his power forward. Well, also, let me say this. If you type in Chipotle Addict in the search up top, you'll find that he finished second, 16th, and 18th. Um, I know that because since I didn't play last night, I decided to just pull up. I didn't play and I was working, so I decided to pull up um, the $300 tournament and just follow along and see how Jumpahoo was doing. And in that tournament, Chipotle Addict finished first, second, third, and fourth. Oh my um, gosh. And it was, I mean, he put in 14 teams, but it was, um, it was essentially, you know, you don't finish first, second, third, and fourth, unless you have a lot of the same players across, across all the teams, which is kind of what you brought up with um, Head Chopper talking about, yeah, um, what I'm trying uh, to do more of. Yeah, and not wanting to play every player, but instead picking who's my core and, and sticking to that. And and that way, when you do hit it, you hit it hard. And I, I think that is the key. I think one thing that's interesting, too, is recognizing that it's very important in DFS, is recognizing that the process can be great and the results won't necessarily be there. And so you can't judge things based on results, which becomes a little more difficult to do, but you have to be able to judge things based on the process. So what I mean by this is, is like I said, I was following Jumpahoo's uh, yeah, team last ahead. night. And Shoot me the link had, if you've got it. He had a pair of, now I don't have it because I was just under the live contest last night, but he had a pair of $300 entries. And his two teams both finished, you know, within two or three points outside the money. So neither of them cashed. And across his two teams, he had maybe 12 total players across his two teams. And all 12 of those players were on Chipotle Addicts teams that finished in the top four. So in other words, he had narrowed down his field of players to the exact same players that Chipotle Addict had narrowed his down to. But Chipotle Addict finished first, second, third, and fourth, and Jumpahoo finished outside the money. So if Jumpahoo had maybe built a third team where he'd combined the right players together, he might have finished first place. So the, the process was there because it was all the same players that the first through fourth place 
teams had. They just weren't all on the right teams together. And I think that that's important to recognize is that, you know, because people can get down on themselves after a few non-cashing nights. But if you can look and, and identify, okay, what were the winning lineups doing? Or what were these top DFS players doing? That can help you identify if you were on the right track with your thoughts, which is a lot more important than what the actual results were. I got you. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, in looking at this, Efred Payton, I had him, I liked him a lot. And he, because he was such a good value, he had just gotten to the point where, you know, because Scott Skiles and Brandon Jennings and some of the other things, but one of the things I've learned that in my sales career is you could have the worst product in the world to sell. You know, I sell luggage and at a certain price, everything sells. Right. And I yeah. think in DFS, it's very similar to where like Efred Payton at 6,500 isn't worth it. But I think he was 4,900 on DraftKings last right. night off the top of my head. At that point, his 30 minutes, in a pretty good matchup become really valuable. And likewise, you want to talk game theory. One of the things I've noticed with NBA, I'll use Mirza Talenovich as kind of the, the, the most current example of this phenomenon is guys get more run and they might be $3,700 and they start killing it. Well, as they're killing it, their, their price goes up, but, also does their ownership. And Miles Turner was another guy like this. And once these guys get to like 5,000, 5,500, what I've noticed is it's almost better to avoid them because now if they put up a 35 point night, it's not that great. You know, it's good, but if they put up a 20 point night, you're dead, especially if there's 40% ownership. So that's one of the game theory things I've learned in the NBA. Yeah, and I think a big thing, probably the biggest thing in DFS is being able to identify where a player should be priced because that's how you find the inefficiencies. So Alex Lynn was 5,600 last night. Where should he be priced? Well, he's been getting... 36 to 40 minutes a game um, and the offense has been running through him. So where should he be priced? Probably 7k to where he might have a 30 point game, which would be a disappointment at 7k or he might have a big game, but when he's 5,600, he's still underpriced. Whereas once miles Turner got up to 6k and was, uh, was now playing power forward instead of center then when he was priced there, that was about where he should be priced. So everyone was still jumping on Miles Turner at that point, but he was no longer underpriced based on where he should have been valued. Correct. And then another interesting guy on Chipotle Addicts lineup is Rashawn Holmes from Philadelphia. I jumped on Covington was the guy that I you know, wanted to play more of. And Holmes was a guy who was, you know, there was nobody else really there except the other guy who got in foul trouble who I had in a couple lineups. But my point is that another one of the kind of game theory things that I've learned in NBA is often when a guy is injured, the immediate thing is to want to go and play his backup. 
And often, like last night when Kevin Love went out, I'm not looking necessarily for Shumpert, who started in place of him, essentially. But I want to see how much extra value that's going to give Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. So that's another thing that people should do in their NBA lineups. When there's injury to a guy who is a core usage guy, just don't look at the guy who's replacing him, but also look at the overall studs on the team and how much more labor they're going to have to carry. Uh, What do you think about that one? Yeah, and what's crazy about that is it's different from team to team, too. So one team, the backup might step in and take over that guy's usage. Another team, uh, take, for instance, Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins can come in and play 25 minutes for the Pelicans and still not hit value when he's minimum priced. Um, or Tony Snell on the Bulls. You know, sometimes these guys come in and, and Stevenson. They, they get no usage, whereas on other teams, um, Anthony Tolliver on Detroit, he'll step in and actually maybe put up a 24, 25-point game at minimum price. And so that's the, a big difference in – how different teams function. And that's where having an understanding of, of the NBA and really being passionate about following the sport can help because over time you start to know what's what and, and who will benefit in different situations. Absolutely. So you're learning the NBA. I'm learning the NBA. Um, one of the things that I do on this podcast often with my partner, the Motown Mauler, who is the third ranked, middleweight on Roto Grinders ratings is we build a lively lineup on DFS. And I'm not saying we're the only ones who do it. Other people build lineups, but this is an actual lineup that we put our money into. And we, we had a three K cash this year already on a $27 tourney. So um, I invited JM to win, even though he is, learning the the NBA, I thought it would be a fun kind of uh, opportunity for us to build a lineup together. And he graciously agreed. Isn't that correct? Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. So basically how we do this is we can go one of two ways with this. We can go position by position and kind of give our Core, yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't we give our core plays of the night? I'll start by doing point guard, and it helps if I have today's um, sheet and not yesterday's. Uh, So, at point guard today, one of the guys that kind of jumped out at me at a value is Patrick Beverly. I won't go to the the distance of saying he's Efred Payton like because he doesn't have that kind of uh, offense, but he does get the minutes. He's a starting point guard and his salary is only 4,700. So that's one point guard I've been looking at today. Another one is a guy I played yesterday and I did a little research And he actually gets a little bit more points on back-to-backs than he does otherwise, is Isaiah Thomas um, playing Cleveland. He is a guy who I think, you know, Kyrie Irving is someone that you can attack uh, that team with. 
A couple other guys I'm looking at today are Jackson of the Pistons and another value guy, Hill of the Pacers. J.M., who are you looking at at point guard today? So we have less overlap here at point guard than I thought we would. Um, for me, I like um, I like Isaiah Thomas a lot. Um, the reasons you said, I mean, if you look at the way Boston's been playing lately, they've been incredibly competitive, which is, is great for them playing the Cavaliers. It is in Cleveland, which makes it a little more dangerous. But Isaiah Thomas is the kind of guy who could take over that game and put up 50, 55 fantasy points. Uh, I also had Reggie Jackson written down because it's always good to attack Jose Calderon um, with whatever point guard he's playing defense on. Um, but I also, I really like Ricky Rubio today against Donald Sloan and the Nets. I think um, the Nets are definitely one of my favorite teams to attack with point guards and with shooting guards. And so that puts Rubio in play for me there. Um, and as far as cheaper guys, I like Patrick Beverly. I, I didn't have him written down because I have a bias against Beverly because of his lack of offense. Although um, given the way he's been playing lately and the way he's been a little more involved He's certainly a value at 4700 But I have, in that same price range, Norris Cole, who in a tournament is going to have low ownership because it's against Utah. But Utah has had some tough games recently against point guards where they've given up big points. Norris Cole has been really involved lately, especially in facilitating offense, so generating assists, which is a great way to pick up more sure points. And then in that same game, Shelvin Mack going against the Pelicans. Um, Mack is a great tournament play in my mind because he could get you 10 points or 30-plus points at 4,100. So the fact that he could get you 10 points scares a lot of people off of him, and um, I think he's a solid value play as well. Awesome. Now, obviously, we're not sitting here looking at each other's sheets, and I actually overlooked he is right next to Hill with the same markings on my sheet as Hill. Um, I like Cole because I, my first instinct is to not play him because of how many people are there right now. But um, I, I think that makes him an interesting GPP play. Ricky Rubio is on my sheet but not highlighted, and the reason is I wouldn't want to play him and Zach Levine, and I like Levine more. I just think that uh, – I think he's a little more consistent. Um, so if you're okay with Cole, I have no problem sticking him in as the point guard. Yeah, let's put him in. All right. So I'm going to let you go first on the shooting forwards. I'm, I'm sorry, the shooting guards. So – I don't like shooting guard at all today, and I'll be interested to, to hear what you've come up with. The only guys I like are Levine and Evan Turner. I like Evan Turner because people tend to overlook him uh, since he's not the starter, but he's extremely consistent. Um, and again, in a, in a game against Cleveland where the Celtics are going to have to do really well, um, I think they'll rely on him a lot. If you look at his game logs, his price has been dropping recently. He's down to 5K, and over his last, what, 14 games, he's only been under value for that price three times. 
So in 11 of his last 14 games, he's been overvalued for a 5K price tag. And one of the games where he was under, he scored 24, where he would need 25 to hit value. So I like Turner because he does have 35-point upside and does go overlooked. He scored 46 points, his last 46 fantasy points, his last game against Cleveland. Um, So I like him and I like Levine. Levine is obviously going to get a lot more attention from DFS players. Um, which makes him a, a slightly less appealing uh, tournament play. Although if we find um, under-owned players in other positions, it doesn't matter as much. So uh, this one we're, we're completely in lockstep on. I love Turner. Um, I did a little research, and just like Isaiah Thomas, he actually scores a little bit more on a back-to-back. Uh, and again, I think that... Um, you know, like you said, he had been up around 5,500 recently. So I really like him. I, I agree with you. He's going to have less ownership. Um, the other guy I really like is Bogdanovich. I just don't think his price has adjusted enough yet to kind of, you know, the role that he's got. Uh, just looking up his 10 game log 33, 31, 36, 23, 38 minutes over the last five or six, 22, 33, 28, 11, 26 fantasy points. So he's a guy I've been looking at too. And then I, the other thing I want to mention at shooting guard is I really like James Harden. And then the news that Jimmy Butler came back in kind of threw me off of Harden. But for a GPP, it almost makes me want to, game theory-wise, consider going back to him because I think the natural instinct of people is going to be to get off him because of the Jimmy Butler defense. And if there's one thing James Harden has proven is he can do it against anyone. Um, I'm okay putting Turner in, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Harden and maybe Bogdanovich. And especially if we if we go kind of all value and then try to find, you know, if we have salary left over, find where to go up. Um, I like the idea of putting in Turner and then and then making a decision in a little bit on on Harden. But I what you said is is really worth paying attention to um, for anyone who who's wanting to think more game theory wise because it's true that immediately the inclination is to move off of Harden. I had that same thought um, was Harden's a good play. And then, Oh, Jimmy Butler's playing Harden's not a good play. And it's true that elite players matchup doesn't matter quite as much. And so sure Harden might only get 40 points, but he could also get 65 or 70 points and his ownership is going to be lower because of concern over Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah, and, as for Bogdanovich, and who knows how long, and who knows how long Butler plays. And they said no restrictions. But one of the things you have to learn in DFS is you have to use your common sense and not just go by what they say. You know, the guy's been out three weeks, four weeks. And A, he could be rusty. And B, he might not get his normal minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I'm going to put Turner. Donovich. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go on Bago, and then we'll put Turner in. Um, yeah, I was just going to say what I really like, I, and I agree with what you said about him. What I really like about Turner is that Turner gets a lot more peripheral stats than most shooting guards, which means his floor is much higher. 
um, because you can rely on the rebounds and the assists, whereas most shooting guards, if they have a cold night shooting, there goes your night because they're relying on points. So with Turner being you know, so close in price to Bogdanovich, I really like the, the Turner at 5K play. Yeah, I do too. And when I, I, I sat through your course at the DFS conference, I think my number one takeaway, and I think the number one takeaway you wanted me to take away was that when you build lineups, NFL lineups, you want guys who, A, give you safety, and B, have game-winning upside, which in the NFL you identified as 100 yards and a touchdown. So I, I think Turner definitely gives us the JM to win theory of a, a, a good amount of safety and that upside where he could go off. Yeah, because you want a guy who, if he doesn't have a monster game, at least isn't hurting your team. Um, and so when you can find that combination of safety and upside, it, it really helps your, your overall floor and ceiling quite a bit. So we move over to small forward, and there's really one guy still jumping out at me at small forward. Um, it could be a blowout because they're at home, but Kawhi Leonard is – I still think underpriced at uh, 7,900. He had almost 60 points the last time out, and he had 46, 43, and 47 the three games before that. He is a guy who gets anywhere in a, uh, you know, 35 to 40 minutes a lot of nights. He is by far my number one pick there. Trevor Ariza is a little interesting to me tonight. You know, you say that Jimmy Buckets is back and is going to be on Harden. Well, if Harden's looking to dish the ball off, Ariza, you know, Ariza from Ariza, uh, Paul George, who I'm still mad that I didn't, you know, he was a guy I wanted to get in last night and didn't. Um, but I think for the dollars, I like Leonard a little more. And then he's still a decent enough value, Mike Dunleavy, He's a starter. He gets pretty good minutes with Butler back. I think if anything, the games will be closer. Um, if I was going to go a little lower, Dunleavy's the guy I'm looking at. Who do you have at small forward? So no LeBron for you, huh? You know, the thing about LeBron is that I like him tonight because the Celtics are bad against bigs and he could, you know, but Kevin loves back. It looks right. like, it looks like it was a rest game. And if you look at LeBron's last 10 games, he's only been over 50 really once. Right. He had a 50, 56 against OKC. If it was a cash game, I would say yes to LeBron. But because this is a GPP, I really feel like Leonard can give me a LeBron James night at at two thousand dollars less. Very good thinking. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. Um, I had LeBron written down, but you're right; he is much more cash game because he's not. Well, he can, but he's unlikely to have that sixty-five or seventy-point game where you're getting six times value. Um, I like. Paul George a little bit more than Kawhi Leonard because the game is likelier to be competitive and because um, the Wizards struggle against wing players so much that the 
Um, upside, I think, is the same on a per-minute basis with Paul George, whereas the likelihood of him playing the full game is higher. But um, out of all the small forward, and I, and I like Ariza, but out of all the small forward options, I mean, if we're going to do a strict all-value lineup, yeah, I'd, I'd go Ariza. But to be honest, I would immediately look to move up to Kawhi or Paul George. Well, I'm okay with sticking Paul George in. I'm just going to give you kind of a quick counterpoint to why I settled on. And, and they both have things that I like and don't like. I think because Paul George had that 67-point game last night, I think his ownership's going to be higher than, than normal. And with Leonard, you've got the fact that um, the blowout, concerns are going to keep his ownership a little lower but what i'm going to do is i'm going to stick george in and then if there's a 200 dollars difference between them and what's fun at the end of this process is kind of looking at who you can get either way so i'll put paul george in as a placeholder because i i like leonard a little more but i'm certainly not against paul george there who do you like at the power forward so help me with uh, saying his name because I've said I don't watch NBA, but the uh, Don Donatas. Oh gosh, you're going to ask me to do it? <laughs> you know the white guy, the white guy that just came back from the back injury on Houston. Yeah, so his minutes have been trending up since he returned. He had nine minutes his first game, 19 his second, 22 his third. Um, and I like the matchup against Taj Gibson. I think he can get, we'll call him Modi. I think he can get 24 minutes tonight. And if he gets 24 minutes at absolute minimum salary, then he'll easily get his 15 points. Um, I like it because there's not a ton of value available today so far. And that gives us a way to get in some higher priced guys and create some differentiation with our lineup. Um, by getting this lower-priced power forward. Outside of him, I like LaMarcus Aldridge, but with the same concerns I have with Kawhi Leonard. Um, I like Derek Favors because he plays more of a four-slash-five position than just a straight four, which uh, New Orleans is, is strong against the four and awful against the five. So I think because New Orleans is so good against power forwards, people might be off favors, but I think he still has the upside that a, that a center would have against New Orleans. Um, and yeah, that's really kind of what I have. That's the extent of what I have for power forward. Yeah. It's, uh, I found this to be the toughest position tonight. I was all set to play a lot of Portis again, but with Taj back and Jimmy Butler back, you know, the, you know, and now Portis's salary back up. I have Aldridge uh, circled on my sheet, and I've got Modi Yunus. And the other kind of counterpoint guy that I've got at that price point is Thomas Robinson, who I think his minutes are a little more secure than Modi Yunus. Um, he's, you know, he's given you a 17, a 21, and a 19, but his minutes have never gone above 16. So I agree with you with Moda Yunus, and I'm I'm more than happy to stick him in. It's a risk, but if you want to go deep in a GPP, you're going to have to take some risk. What I like about Modi is 
is we saw it uh, well when he was playing earlier this year, and we saw it last year that if he gets the minutes, he does have 30 plus point upside. So just because he hasn't shown that in his three games since he got back, doesn't mean that that's not something that he's capable of doing. Well, and that's a game theory right there, right? Once he does it, then everyone's going to be on him. So sometimes you have to be willing to, when you know someone's got that game in them, like I'll give you an example from football. I was a big Crockett Gilmore guy and week one or two, I might've played him a little bit, both of those weeks. And he didn't do it. And of course, the week that I stopped playing him, he went for two touchdowns and 100 yards. So I I, I do think that, that, you know, I agree with you. And sometimes game theory wise, you have to, you know, you have to bet on the come, I guess you would call it in craps terms. So we've got Moda Yunus in there. And as the guest, I'm going to let you give us the first thoughts at center. Because that seems to me to be the place where I found the most value today. So value, one thing to talk about, too, is value doesn't just mean cheap guys. Correct. Um, by value, I mean guys that I want to play. Yeah, That's what so I mean by value. When you can get a guy with um, who say 7K and can put up 50, then that's extremely valuable. So one guy I like in terms of that is DeAndre Jordan. Um, A matchup against Atlanta, who's one of the worst rebounding teams in basketball, helps him quite a bit. Um, His offensive usage should be there. He's been less consistent his last few games, which should drive down ownership. Um, My other favorite, and there's plenty of centers to like today. I mean, Gobert's in a great spot. Drummond's in a great spot. Um, but my other favorite center is Robin Lopez. Again, he's somebody who's very inconsistent. So his ownership goes up and as uh, ownership goes down because he's had so many up and down games, but it seems that the Knicks try to play him more in games where he really needs to be out there matching up with another big. And if we look at the last time he played against Detroit, which is the last time I rostered Robin Lopez, he played 35 minutes and he put up 51.5 fantasy points. So playing Detroit at home where the Knicks should be able to keep the game a little closer, and with the Knicks needing him matched up with with Drummond, I like uh, Lopez a lot. But with that said, I also think today is a great day to use two centers on DraftKings because there are a lot to like, and there's a lot of upside to be to be found across the board. I agree. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six names uh, circled at center. Uh, Gobert is one of them. And you kind of said something that I hadn't realized about favors going over to the five. Um, I think Gobert is in a, uh, a very good spot. I think Dwight Howard is in a very good spot. Uh, where is Dwight Howard? You know, Chicago has been really bad defending bigs. And Howard at 7,900, he is a guy who, if you look at his last 10 games, has a 46, a 48. So he's on my list. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is on my list. Brooklyn, again, Brooke Lopez, defense, not his strong suit. Uh, Al Horford is on my list. But I I did some research, and he is not as good on a back-to-back 
He's down like three or four points a game on a back-to-back, so I eliminated him. And that gets us to Robin Lopez, who I like for all the reasons you liked him, plus the fact that I think people don't realize that Drummond gives up points to centers. And, uh, you know, Robin Lopez, again, you know, the whole linchpin to the JM to win theory is, you know, can this guy give me a big day? You know, is his floor good? And does he have a big, can he give us a big day? You look at the last 10 games, 32, 11, 41, 29, 19, 40, 51, and 18. So, yeah, I think that 11 is, kind, you know, like the judges in skating, they would throw the, the lowest and the highest score out. I'll, I'll, I'm yeah. willing to throw that one out as uh, because Portland really doesn't have a lot of centers, to your earlier point. Um, so long story short, I am very willing to put in Robin Lopez here. Yeah, let's do Lopez, and then let's pick uh, – I'll let you pick the other center. I think we should go center in the other utility spot if you're good with that. And um, and there's a lot of good guys you mentioned that we could slot into that other well, center. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to build an eight-man team today of centers <laughs> compete against anybody else. Yeah, you you got to go on fantasy draft. You can stick like five of them in. Um, <laughs> but you can only win like $200. I mean, they've uh, – they they've taken a big hit over the time. Um, I'm going to stick for now, and we're going to call him a placeholder like George. And what I mean by that is, I like him a little bit more because we do have a lot of kind of under the radar guys. Jordan in a good matchup. I mean, he he has the safest floor I think of any of these guys. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and what I like about DeAndre Jordan is before he had this this slower game, three straight slower games and good matchups, Brooklyn, Sacramento, and Denver. But before that, he was over 40 points almost every game. Um, And he's just, you know, really high floor, high upside guy. Yeah, and he's coming off the three games rest. And I think those slow performances, he's been called on to do so much since uh, Blake Griffin's been out. I just wonder if fatigue played a little part in his recent downturn. So I'm, I'm very okay with putting him in there and then seeing kind of where we're at salary-wise with the rest of the guys. So that leaves us with $16,100 to fill the guard and forward spot. So the first thing I want to do is stick James Harden in there. And this is what kind of we do as we start refining this lineup. So if we stick Harden in there, that means that we could look at Ryan Anderson, Marky F. Morris, Miles Turner, Kent Bazemore, Bobby Portis, and Marcus Morris, along with Tristan Thompson. And I got to say, there's one guy who really jumps out at me at that price point. I want to see if you have the same guy. Any of those guys jump out to you? I'm looking right now. Um, I, I'll let's just let you say who it is because I'm not seeing okay. it. All right. It's Marcus Morris. Uh, Stanley Johnson is out. And Marcus Morris is... You know, Carmelo doesn't exactly play the best defense in the world. Minutes 32-32, 41-32, 40-34, 36-35, 37, 
fantasy points, 24, 25, 32, 36, 23. He had 110. And, and I think with, um, with him being out, uh, Stanley Johnson, I, I, I think uh, I like Marcus today out of those guys. Um, anyone that you liked in that range? I think Tristan Thompson is interesting because it's against Boston and they struggle so much against bigs, but Tristan Thompson's offensive game is, is so thoroughly lacking that, um, yeah, I like the Marcus Morris call more. I think that anybody in this tweener price range of the kind of 5k 5,500 tends to go overlooked and Marcus Morris tends to go overlooked. So I think both of those really add up to, contribute to him potentially being a, a nice guy to have with, with um, some upside and probably low ownership as well. All right. So the next thing we do is the other guy that, you know, I liked and uh, was Kawi Leonard. So if we stick Leonard in at forward, that means that guard, we could stick in Rajon Rondo, Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, Drew Holiday. So that's another way you know, what do you like the Harden Morris thing? Do you like the Leonard, one of those guards things? Or do you want me, did you have like a stud that you really liked that you'd kind of like me to plug into guard or forward to kind of do that comparison? Um, no, I'd actually looked at, at the same thing, Kawhi Leonard at, at forward and then see what we had at guard. Uh, I think with, with Leonard or Harden, you get a lot of upside and you take on some risk Harden because he's going against um, Jimmy Butler and Leonard because it's against Sacramento at home where it should be a blowout. But both guys also contribute a ton of upside. Um, Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas should both be good to hit value with some upside for a little bit more than that. So I think both, both combinations are, are good. And a lot of times, obviously the success of a day comes down to, um, comes down to those last couple spots, but I think both of those combinations are really solid. I've got one more that I kind of want to throw out at you. Chris Paul at guard. And that would allow us to get either Gordon Hayward or Georgie Dang. Um, I'm not crazy about Dieng tonight, but Gordon Hayward at 6,600. Doesn't that sound underpriced to you? Yeah, that's actually, um, that's really interesting. And I wonder what it must be because we've seen that DraftKings does factor in ownership in their pricing, which is why Evan Turner, in spite of going overvalue every game, his price has dropped down to 5K. Uh, Gordon Hayward was over 7K for months, and at 6,600, he basically hits value or goes above value every game. So he's somebody that people are obviously overlooking, and against New Orleans, that's a great matchup for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Hayward as well, and I don't think a lot of people will be thinking of, of Chris Paul at point guard. And Atlanta plays at a, a much faster pace, I think, than most people realize. So it's not a bad spot for Chris Paul either. Well, when I look at the premium content on Roto Grinders, there's a category called WTD dollars per point, which do do you know what that is? No idea. All right, let me let me look it up. <laughs> uh, that's funny. 
Uh, w, it's player salary divided by what's WTD? Well, it put it this way: it's a good thing to be in the blue and the number okay. one. The number one small forward tonight by the, these ratings is Hayward. Otto Porter is second. Paul George is third, and Kawhi Leonard is fourth. So I really like that. You know, I, I mean, Harden still has to face Jimmy Butler. Uh, you know, Chris Paul coming off a three nights rest. Um, I know we've got DeAndre Jordan in, but if we put Chris Paul in with Hayward, I think that is that's a lot of upside, and it uses every single dollar that we have. Um, yeah, I like it. If you do, yeah, I like that team a lot. All right. So to those who are listening, uh, the team that we are going to enter into the contest and split the rewards on is Norris Cole, Evan Turner, Paul George, De- Blue Monte Yunus. I think I got the Monte Yunus right. Robin Lopez, Chris Paul, Gordon Hayward, and DeAndre Jordan. And my caveat that I always send out to the airways is Jordan and I hopefully will have the ability to text and possibly talk as injury news comes during the night. These lineups will and could be changed based on news that comes up. If you're playing daily fantasy basketball, that is the number one thing you have to keep in mind, especially on DraftKings. So, Jordan, I thank you very much for coming on the program. I really enjoyed it. Are there any other things that you might want to get out to the public, uh, things that you want to plug uh, before we say goodnight? No, just um, if anybody's listening, keep paying attention to what we're doing with, with premium content. I'm really excited about it. And I've said it several times in several places, but feel free to reach out to me with any thoughts you have on ways we can improve premium and things you'd like to see incorporated. And and we'll keep seeing what we can do to bring those things to light. And you can follow Jordan on Twitter at JM2Win, J-M-T-O, Win. Uh, I'm Todd from PA, T-O-D with one D from PA. And thank you again, Jordan, for doing the show. We're going to leave you with the song that's a little closer to your age group than mine, but it is one of my favorite songs of the last few years. Thank you again. It's Mr. Brightside from The Killers. Have a good night, everyone.